What language do we use to talk about our strengths? How do we reflect on the things that we are doing such that we find what we are doing right and work at developing it and rejoicing in it? What do we say to ourselves about our own skills, our own possibilities? And how do we share those thoughts about ourselves with others? And how do we listen and learn from, benefit from, and rejoice with others? All of these issues have to do with language. All of these issues have to do with a variety of communities in which we live. Families, organizations, businesses, educational institutions. My guest today is Thomas Sauer. Those in the world education field will almost certainly recognize his name as a man who has provided for workshops and sessions and leadership for decades. Those of you not in the world education field recognize that this conversation brings to bear how what we experience through language can affect positively all those around you and you yourself. Enjoy this conversation with Thomas Sauer and reflect on what it means to you and for you and share that with others. It's fun to be able to have a conversation always with the both energetic and also highly fascinating Thomas Sauer, but it's going to be especially neat to have a conversation today. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Noah. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And we have uh, lived through storms to be able to have this conversation finally. And I would like you to, first of all, introduce yourself to the listeners who may or may not be familiar with the educational scene of the uh, of the National Foreign Language Resources Center, the various aspects of what goes on with teacher training, and then there are some that will be very familiar with you, of course. Why don't you let, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? So I'm currently working at um, the University of Maryland at the National Foreign Language Center, and within the National Foreign Language Center, I am the director of um, a outfit called PERL, which stands for Professional in Education, Advancing Research and Language Learning. And we are one of 16 uh, language resource centers that are funded by the Department of Education. And um, so they're all around the country, different institutions. They all have a different focus. Our focus happens to be professional development. While all the centers do professional development, we try to actually figure out what works, what doesn't work in professional development, we try to find the answer to that really simple question, what will make a teacher change their practice? Ah, profound, if very simple question. Yeah. And, and the reason why I, I got into this is because I've been doing PD, as somebody pointed out to me, I'm in my fourth decade of doing professional development for teachers. I've started doing PD in the late 90s. And so now, now that we're where we are, this is the fourth decade in which I have done professional development. And so I love working with teachers. I love learning with teachers. And But I, I started my own career um, in distance learning. So I, I taught German on, on satellite television. So I never saw my students, which meant 
I, from my very first teach job, I had to think about, okay, if I say that, what will cause that to happen in the learner? What will they do because of my instructions, because of my directions? So I've always thought about teaching not as a separate process, but I had to think about both both sides of it. I didn't have, just have to think about what I'm doing as a teacher. I always, always had to think about what the students are doing. And so my, you know, when, when we used to be on Twitter, my Twitter bio was always um, passionate about making the shift from teaching to learning because I've always had to think about not just the teaching aspect, but truly the learning part. And so now in my work uh, as a professional development center, obviously that's core and front and center to think about, okay, how do we think about not just giving more knowledge to teachers, but if I give, if I train teachers, what is that going to cause them to do? What is it, or is it even possible to say what it is that you would like teachers to do? What kind of evidence that teachers are doing something you had hoped for are you looking for? Um, that's a really, I think that's a really hard question. Um, and one that administrators around the country have to fight with all the time, right? Um, any teacher who's scared in observation, I always tell them, don't be scared. You know who's most scared in your observation? The principal, who has no idea what they're even supposed to be looking for in a Chinese immersion classroom, in an eighth grade French classroom, in a high school German level four class, right? Um, so they are much more scared than us teachers. But of course, teachers, it would be helpful if we knew what this teaching should look like. And so about a dozen years ago, I got involved in a project called the Teacher Effectiveness for Language Learning Project, short name TELL. And it was an effort by four colleagues. We were all districts. Well, three of us were district supervisors and one was a consultant. And we all try to figure out the answer to your question, actually. What is it that we want to see teachers actually do? Um, we all had different motivations. Um, one district had a very large turnover rate. So the supervisor kept like, I keep doing the same training over and over and over again. Um, in my own district, we had embarked on a very ambitious curriculum redesign and I needed teachers to be really laser focused on implementing the curriculum as written. So we we just kind of dug through the literature and the research to see what is it that we know. And there wasn't one place that kind of said, okay, this is what effective language teachers do. Lots of textbooks out there, lots of research, but they always just, you know, address one part of it. So we came up with this set of criteria. We shared it with other smart genius people that we know and asked them for their opinion. They're like, this is amazing. Can we have it? And so like, okay, well, before we share it publicly, let's make sure we're on the right track here. And so we, again, make connections to other general education frameworks because there's lots out there that says what all teachers should do. And sometimes language teachers fight those frameworks, even though they're good, but they don't use our language. You know, language teachers, we have our own lingo when it comes to talking about teaching. And if it doesn't say it exactly that, then we're like dismissing it, even though it might be a really good strategy. So we try to translate, pun intended, these general education strategies into terms that language teachers could understand. And then went through a large-scale review. We had reviewers from every single state, uh, textbook authors, teachers, consultants, district supervisors, state supervisors, uh, classroom teachers, to give us their feedback to make sure that that framework really is solid. 
Um, and then we published it. It's been out now again almost um, 11 years, and it has undergone two revisions. And I still think it's a really good framework for telling people what effective teaching looks like. And I and I knew that during COVID because I was really scared. Obviously, when COVID happened and we all switched to online learning, of course, I immediately thought, oh my gosh, what does TEL say? Is it going to be okay? And we looked at TEL from the COVID lens and discovered, with the exception of a few statements that made direct reference to you know the organization of the classroom, <laughs> um, it was spot on because good teaching is good teaching. Thomas, you use so many important phrases in there and to that talked about, for example, translating concepts that were in use in more general education or in some other specific curricular areas into the kind of language that the language community of teachers would feel that they could own and respond to. You take a look at, I'm going to ask you to specify some of the aspects of the TEL uh, curriculum uh, framework, uh, the, the framework around the, what, what the uh, teacher effectiveness and language learning is all about. Keeping in mind that I'm also looking and saying, what is it that educators in general, but really, especially, of course, by the nature of this podcast, language teachers language educators are able to be reflecting on how non-language people, how people in business, how people in organizations should be thinking about best practices, about how things work when they speak to their teams, when they work with their community organization, when they're interacting potentially with their family or friends. What are some of the insights? What are some of the guidelines that you know have been important and have carried through even under such circumstances as the pandemic? I think one at the core of everything that language teachers do and that makes us so unique and in my mind irreplaceable is because we are probably, and I'm quoting Katrina Griffin here, um, who said that during her, her, her speech when she became the actual teacher of the year that Language teaching is the only subject area where we're actually teaching interpersonal communication, where we're actually helping people understand each other. Um, and, and that makes us so unique and probably one of the most important subject areas there is right now. Um, everything else is, is, you know, is often content. It's things that are Googleable. <laughs> and I know language is Googleable, but to make those true interpersonal connections, to have true interpersonal connections that are based on intercultural knowledge, you need two humans. And language teachers help their students become those humans who can have those conversations. And um, yeah, that's what I would probably say to outsiders too. That's what you're looking for. Language teaching today is not learning isolated facts about the language, about the culture, about the grammar. It's to raise a generation of people who can communicate with each other for the better of, of, the, of the whole human race. That's a powerful statement right there. How's that initiative growing? How's it going? Oh, that's, uh, I think we have, you know, we have pockets of excellence around the country. We have teachers who embrace it. Um, 
there's lots of teachers who think that that's the byproduct of their teaching, but not the product. And so then their practices perhaps don't support it and they just hope that's what happens. And then of course you also have, still have teachers who are still teaching isolated facts, language, culture. Um, so I think, you know, it's all over the place. In what way is the work that you have done and that you're currently doing bring to the awareness of more and more practitioners the fact that the uh, communication, the connection of human to human is not the byproduct, but the product that you're looking for and why? I mean, we obviously try to do that through training, uh, through workshops, through different professional development models. Um, but anybody who's talked to me knows I'm just trying to get teachers to be reflective about their practice. Um, one of those colleagues who was involved in the beginning of the TEL framework always said to me that, Thomas, there's no teacher that gets up in the morning and says, I want to do a bad job today. And that was, for me, that was really profound because we kind of have to think about that. When you go with observe a teacher and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing this. You know, there's no teacher that gets up and goes into that room and says, you know what? I'm going to do the exact opposite of what they told me last week in the PD. No, every teacher does exactly the best that they're able to do. They do the best with what they know, right? Uh, the whole old saying, you, you know better, you do better. Obviously, that's why professional development is important. So you have those teachers. But then on the other spectrum, I think we have a lot of teachers who aren't aware of that they're amazing. So I run into these teachers who do absolutely incredible things, like even better than what we could imagine in writing the TEL framework. But they have no clue that it's happening. And so I always say, you know, if something amazing happens, in a classroom and nobody knows about it, did it really happen? Um, so if they're not aware, and you know they're aware in the sense that their students enjoying it and there's an outcome, but they don't know, they can't explain the process that they went through. And and I was in that in that in that category of teachers myself too, because people would say, Oh, you're an amazing teacher, you know. I had no idea why. For me, it was, I was just doing what I, you know, I was I literally was just phoning it in at some point because I was like, I just did, there was no intentionality. So my big word when it comes to professional development, when it comes to teacher effectiveness is intentionality, because I think that's what's missing so often. Um, and that's not a dig on teachers. The lack of intentionality has to do with the structures that are in place that don't allow teachers to be intentional, right? You know, teaching four or five, six different classes a day, with a 30 minute planning period during which you have to do five minute other things don't allow for intentionality. Um, the overall school schedule doesn't allow for intentionality. The culture around teaching doesn't allow for intentionality. So I'm trying to get people to be intentional about their, 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 their choices as a teacher, which starts obviously with awareness, right? Be aware first and then be intentional about the decision that you're making. And I think that's not happening nearly enough for us to actually get to that that goal that we just talked about of having language classes where interpersonal communication for 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 the better good is the true goal of the class. The intentionality breakthrough, which clearly is going to be incremental based on all of the environmental uh, surroundings that you have just placed it in here in this bit of this conversation. Uh, 
how do you go about it? How are you building an understanding of intentionality so that uh, that effectiveness in the classroom, someone did see it happen, it does grow. How are you going about that to scaffold the the breakthroughs into a greater and greater number? So one of the things that we're trying to do in our work at Pearl and through the TELL framework is to get teachers to name and observe effective practices, right? Um, every teacher in the world has probably a smartphone. So we have a device in our classrooms that allows us to record our classes um, for our own purposes. And so, for example, TELL has a series of uh, what we call feedback forms that teachers can use to just see how how close am I? What am I doing? Um, so I know of a group of teachers in Tennessee, they would literally, they would record them. They would get together on Friday nights with a bottle or two of wine, and they would watch each other's videos using the tell feedback forms to give each other feedback, which of course is incredible. I mean, that might be extreme, but they were, they were committed to the cause. So I think just seeing yourself teaching so many teachers haven't seen themselves teach. They may have recorded a video way back when they first got their city certificate and then haven't seen themselves teach. The other thing is go see other teachers teach too. So it's, it's one thing to see yourself, but I think it's also we haven't seen other teachers teach. Unfortunately, the reality of teaching is still go to your classroom, shut the door, and nobody will know what happens inside, right? And so getting teachers to open up their classrooms, letting anybody come inside at any point to see would just be an incredible change. Um, I knew I had made progress in a, as a backstory, I was a district supervisor for a large urban school district for about a dozen years. And I knew we had made progress when the teacher was like, Thomas, you can come anytime. It does not matter. Because they wanted the feedback. They wanted to see. And that was a huge shift from where, oh, don't come in today. Oh, no, no, no. Or, or I did come in like, oh, well, you should have been here yesterday. Yesterday was much better. You know, to please come. Or or sometimes I would go to school for a meeting and not go into the classroom. Like, why didn't you come into my classroom too? And so that's when I knew we had made progress because teachers were asking for demanding feedback on their practice, right? They wanted to see. Um, and so... You can do this for yourself. You don't need anybody else coming in. Give a kid a camera and let them record the video and just see what you're doing. And just, you know, there's so many things that we have feedback form where you can tally how much language the students are producing, how much language you're doing. There's feedback forms for how you're engaging students. There's feedback forms for, for all kinds of strategies. And just, you know, there's so many you just get so many aha moments. I had a teacher, I observed her once, she didn't know I was coming. Um, it was an unannounced observation in, in, a, in a school in Florida. And she had a stack of these feedback forms on her desk, copied. I was like, what are these? She said, oh, this is what I'm doing. Every day, one of my students has a job of giving me feedback. And so they sit in the back and they fill out the feedback form. So they're not participating in the lesson. They are watching the teacher, they're the observer. And it had a great effect, great impact, because now she got instant feedback from her students, right? She had, talk about having data to take to her 
evaluation conversation with our principals. So look, this is how I started this, what I'm doing now. But also it let the kids in on a little secret because, oh, she's doing these crazy things with the target language because she's supposed to do them, right? Like, so it was, I thought it was just a, a genius way of, of, of bringing intention out to her practice because she wanted that, you know, she wanted the feedback. And I think that's incredibly important. Unfortunately, so many teachers are turned off by feedback because of what has happened in general education or with or in the evaluation field, right? Either teachers are not getting evaluated frequently, they get evaluated against frameworks that are useless, quite frankly, when it comes to language teaching, um, or they're getting feedback on things that weren't their goal. You know, if my goal is not, if my goal is X, Y, Z, you can come back 10 times. I'm not getting better at it. I need feedback on the goal that I have set for myself that I want to get better at. So if my goal is, you know, this is the, I'm going to stick to staying in target language for 90%, I need feedback on how close I'm getting there. I don't need feedback on my use of technology in the classroom because that wasn't my goal this year. And so I think teachers have been turned off a lot through probably some misaligned evaluation systems. And um, we need them to get back to What's the evidence in my practice? You know, I, I don't ask teachers to rate themselves. I just like, where is the evidence? In your, where would I see in your practice that you're doing X, Y, Z? Don't, you know, don't give me a rating. Don't give me a number. Don't give me a fully implemented partial number. Tell me exactly what's the evidence in my practice. And for that, we need more evidence to share with other teachers. We don't have it. I mean, our most current library of practice, which is the title, is the the Annenberg series, which has a copyright year of 1999. Now, the videos are great, but certainly our understanding of language teaching and certainly our clients, the students, have changed just a little bit since 1999. <laughs> you know, there's so much here directly for education. I'm also thinking about folks that are in uh, businesses and industries, groups of all kinds, who you are talking about there, what works uh, includes a culture of trust, uh, as well as some very specific and how you have explained here that not only specific, but also relevant and discerned as important for a specific time frame of, of learning and growing professionally. This the criteria that we are focusing on and not some random things that the, that the evaluator comes in. Cultivating that in school systems, cultivating that in businesses, you're working how much with helping both the educator, but also with helping them to educate those that would be observing, be evaluating. How much work is involved with that so that the system grows? I think some businesses are doing this already, but for majority and not, right? Um, feedback in itself, doesn't matter if it's in teaching or in the rest of the world is often a really difficult thing to say, right? To provide feedback to another person is very difficult, um, honest feedback. And so we, and by we, I mean literally the entire world, we have tried all kinds of approaches to give them feedback. 
not just teaching, but also other, you know, there's this whole this this the, the I like to call it the um, I don't know if I can say this on your podcast, but the bullshit sandwich, you know, where you where you give them something positive, and then you tell them the thing that you want them to get better at, and then you give them something else positive. Well, businesses do that all the time. It doesn't work because we've been trained already. Like we we don't even hear the positive. Like we we're like oh, let me just oh 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 where does it where is it where is it oh. Oh, there's the thing that they won't reach in here. And then I don't hear the second positive thing either because now I'm so focused on the negative thing I've done in my work that I'm missing out on. Um, so it's a, for example, that is not an interpersonal conversation, is it? That is a one way, it's, pre, it's truly presentational and it's, and it's not an, even an effective use of presentational because the listener is not hearing the entire message. So, and again, businesses often don't do a good job at that either. Um, there's a wonderful article called the feedback fallacy that talks about that. Um, and we use that a lot in our training, trying to get teachers, but as you said, it could be beyond teaching to take more of a strength-based approach to feedback. How can we get people to identify what are they really good at in order to get better at something else? We don't do that in education, right? That the education is a deficit culture through and through um, everything from state testing to district or school-based testing or the idea of assessment. Oh, you know, we start off with hundred points, then we take them off. It, 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 it's, it's all a deficit culture and our teachers have been kind of conditioned to that. And then, as you mentioned, the products of our teaching, they go into the real world with that mindset of a deficit culture. Instead of taking more of a, a strength-based approach and figure out what are people really good at and do we really document all the good things that we're doing and then building on that. So not just saying, okay, I'm not, I'm not good at this. So what can I, where can I get training to get better at it, but figure out what am I really good at and how can I use that to help me get better at something else? Because again, I'm not really good at some aspect, not because I don't want to be good at it because I don't know. I'm doing the best I can. Everybody does the best they can, right? And so, okay, if that's the best, then let's use the best to get better as opposed to figuring out all the things that we're not doing and focusing on how to get better at the things that we're not doing well. Um, it's hard to do that, though, in a society that's focused on on achievement, right? Who sells the most? Who has the biggest, the brightest, the best um, because that implies that they're doing something wrong when they don't have those things. Well, I am especially resonating with uh, two aspects. One is uh, the 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 colleagues through the years that have literally said to me, "Don't tell me anything good. Don't sugarcoat what you saw. Just tell me what I need to do to get better." When in fact they have been doing some spectacular things, and I did tell them, but they were impatiently waiting for me to stop that so they could get onto the real thing, which was the criticism <laughs> or the implied criticism. And the second is how much indeed, of course, as you're mentioning, this is a strengths approach where increasing that which you do fluidly or more fluidly to become even more joyful in it is what you focus on rather than trying to somehow repair quote-unquote weaknesses, which are just not naturally 
occurring strengths for you. Work on the stuff that works. How does this relate to that reflective um, work that you do with your professional development, the coaching, including self-coaching? How what does reflection consist of in this case? How do people apply it? Well, you said the word joyful. So let me play with that one because I do think, I hope, I really hope that teachers do find, despite the structural training challenges, despite the deficit culture, there's got to be some kind of joy for them to get up in the morning and do this over and over and over again. And I know that's a hard thing to say in 23 as we're losing more and more teachers, but there are joyful moments. And I think if we can just start documenting them, That'd be amazing. Just like, kind of be, just look for bright spots and, and, and journal them. Or, you know, if, if something makes you laugh out really loud, something that happened with your students, write it down so that you can, you know, just going through the process of acknowledging it, that something joyful has happened. And then, of course, you can also look at it later on. Um, students give us compliments. Students actually do give teachers' compliments. Yes, they say some really nasty, bad things about teachers, but there's plenty of students who give compliments. But do we actually hear them? So, you know, pay close attention when students actually do that. Listen really careful. Um, and then what kind of compliments do you hear from students most often? Because that probably is going to be a good indication of what your strength is as your teacher. Do you know what your students love about you? Um, that, that allows us to build on that, but, but we have to bring a certain level of awareness to it, too. Um, same thing with parents, too. I know parents complain, but parents can also be grateful for, for, what, you, for what you're doing. And then when they express that, we've got we've to be able to, to, to hear that. Um, and so that, you know, it could be, and, and vice versa, too, do with the students, too. Don't just call parents when something goes bad call parents when things are going well with their children. They'll be, they'll be so grateful and you'll get lots of good feedback because no, no other teacher ever does that, right? Teachers only call home when things go bad. So what if we change that and actually call when things are going well to let the parents know that their student's excelling at something? You'll get that in return because likely if your students are excelling at something, they'll love your class, they'll love what you're doing. And they probably told their parents about it, which now you can create that cycle. Maybe you get it back from the, oh, yeah, she told me all about how that love in your class doing X, Y, Z. And so God, we've, we've just got to change that culture and so change those, those small, everyday little conversations. Um, same thing when you look at student work, you know, look for evidence of growth. Don't look at all the things that are wrong, but look at all the things that the student did well, the students did better than last time and capture that either, you know, reflect in it in a journal or write about it somewhere else or, or, or just tell another colleague uh, that, that you've caught those positive things so that you don't get bogged down by all the other, the rest of the negativity won't go away. <laughs> It's still there. We can't change the entire school church overnight, but within your world, in your sphere, If you begin noticing all those positive things, you can begin changing your conversations about yourself and your own practice. Um, and, then, and then I think we will see some actual changes 
in the practice because you'd be more inclined to try new things too. If you don't feel good about your school environment, you don't feel good about the outcomes from the students, you don't feel good about your practice and what you're doing, to try something different sounds really scary um, because you're already not liking all this stuff and now you want to try something I don't even know or understand. I might not like that. I'm not going to try that. So we've got to create a culture where we have joyful moments so that we're willing to take risks, right? Because people who, who don't have who don't have joy are not going to take risks. And the intimacy of that particular uh, response, Thomas, it begins as something as simple as and profound as taking a moment to write something down that has been said positively or something that has worked out well. And I, I've got an image of so many classrooms where people are on to the next rush, on to the next thing that seems like it's a deficit, a deficit. I didn't get to that. They didn't do this. I'm not understanding this. I'm not where if we could write down again, it's that intimacy. Take a moment to say, hold on guys, that was awesome. I'm going to go ahead and, and capture it so that the good is not what we walk away from taking the deficit with us. That, intimacy of acknowledging the good things and helping them to be anchored and remembered, then can come into a larger gathering. You hold varieties of trainings, of uh, collaborative conferences, of things you've even called the unconference. When people come together and bring some of these concepts uh, together and share additional things. What are those kinds of trainings, conferences, and again, unconferences that you have done that bring folks together and multiply this impact? Yeah. So, so we do a lot of those things. We have online summer institutes. We run a leadership academy. Um, we're working on online modules. Um, you mentioned the unconference that we ran um, for a few years they're all built around the idea that the teacher is the expert, not the, the consultant that comes in, not the drive-by PD, right? Because um, I truly believe that if we get the right people in the room, and I always tell them the right people are the people who are in the room, <laughs> doesn't matter who they are, those are the right people, we can come up with all kinds of solutions. And you know, often we just don't have the luxury of time to do that. So when they do come to these events or when they do participate in those opportunities, you know, I, I make them always appreciate the moment and acknowledge the moment that you, know, you are in control, you are in charge of what's about to happen. It makes them incredibly uncomfortable, by the way. It, it takes teachers usually half a day or so to get over that because they're so conditioned to like, okay, this is, this is how this works. You will tell me what to do. I will sit here, I'll pretend like I pay attention, and if I like it, I'll do it. If I don't like it, I'll just ignore you and do what I was doing before. And so when they come to invent with us, and you're like, oh, no, you are in control. You're in charge. You make decisions. You set your own goal. You share what's happening in your classroom. You ask the questions. It makes them very uncomfortable at first. Um, but they're always realizing at the end, like, oh, yeah, together we do know. Because... 
Come on, at the end, it is just Spanish one. How many teachers around the country are sitting on Sunday afternoon at their kitchen table trying to write a lesson plan for Spanish one? It's got to be a very large number in this country. And so I, in one of my first supervisory jobs, I, I was in a very large school district, 200 teachers, and we had a PD event, and there were these two teachers to choose each other, like, oh, hello, what's your name? Oh, my name is so-and-so. I teach French at this school. Oh, I didn't know. I teach French in this school. And I wanted to scream because here you are in a large city. You're both teaching French. You had never met each other. So I came from, I, I lived in Kentucky where I was the only German speaker for, you know, a hundred miles. So to have language teachers who live within close proximity and teach with them to not collaborate or communicate for me was worrisome and so that's been another one of my passion is trying to just get teachers into the room and i think that's what we do really well we get teachers together to connect to share resources um one of the really cool projects we've developed with the um, university of oregon there's a resource center out there as well called castles we develop a platform called catalyst and it's basically oh, that was hard to describe because it's kind of like linkedin slash Facebook for language teachers. So teachers can go on, they can they can self-assess, they can upload evidence from their practice, they have a place to journal, um, they can share resources, uh, and but there's no there's nobody there who guides all this. You know, guess what? Nobody's guiding things on Facebook either. We didn't know how it worked, we just all figured it out. And so this is a place for teachers. And we have about 3,000 teachers on that platform we're just connecting and sharing ideas and like, you know, I noticed you're really good at this. Can you help me with this? Or I noticed you have this as a goal. This is also a goal of mine. Can we work together to figure this out? And so, yeah, all the work we do is always focused on getting teachers together and celebrating them, their strength as the experts. Because there's nothing I can say, or I mean, some things I can say, but it's always better when it comes from a teacher. And in a post-COVID world, I know if you have not taught to in COVID, you don't do PD to teachers post-COVID. <laughs> so I understand that. Uh, your image of these hundreds of uh, people around the country all thinking about doing something on Monday that's basically the same and the collaborative opportunities for lessening that sense of isolation, that sense of I'm having to develop this on my own. It's a powerful, powerful concept and gift. So that's uh, it's important for everybody to keep in mind, I think. Well, it, it, not just to keep in mind, I, I believe it is, it's a requirement for teachers to share um, in, in today's world. You know, if you are if you're shutting your door and you're doing amazing things and not sharing them, you're not doing your full job as a teacher. Um, and you'll see that. And if you look at the TEL framework, there's a professionalism domain that has specified some various criteria that effective teachers do. And sharing is one of those things. It's a prerogative to share with other teachers. The idea that we're doing it just for ourselves and just for our own job doesn't cut it in my world. You're on notice, folks. When you when you hear Thomas doing that, you're on notice. What types of changes have happened from the pandemic that you would provide such an important statement that uh, you're, if you haven't been teaching during the pandemic, it's time for those that have been to step up 
What are some of the things that have been learned or that you're seeing? What kind of stories do you have to tell about the stories pre, during, post, wherever you want to pick up some stories that will help to illustrate what you're saying about how people learn about their their contributions and their pathways to their joy? I do think the sharing obviously happened during COVID. The opening of the classroom happened during COVID more so than ever before, um, because it, there was there was a built-in there was a need for it. Right, um, you couldn't get away. You just you, you people were drowning without help from each other, and so all of a sudden, teachers were much more inclined to share resources from the classrooms, and it's like we're all figuring this out together. It was great. I loved every bit of it. Um, the the number of videos that people shared, the resources and the ideas. Um, I'm afraid that we're going backwards, though. It's, it's, it's like we haven't maintained that momentum, right? Because we, we went, the idea of back to school is Thomas's least favorite sentence, because I don't want to go back to school. Um, remember, it's all about learning for me. So I feel like we've gone, actually, if anything, we've gone backwards as opposed to forward. We missed some huge opportunities when that comes. Um, I do think there's still lots of sharing going on. There's still lots of grassroots happening. Um, but now it's doing in this, like, you know, there's so many of them that are doing it in a sleek packaged way because we all want to know the the imperative is gone. The, the emergency is gone. So now I can, I can sell all these things as opposed to just share all them like we did before. And, and I don't want to begrudge anybody trying to make money but it's not going to move us forward as a profession probably as much as it could. And so I would love to go back to even more sharing and more opening of classrooms. Um, but, the, you know, we're back in the same structures, the same environment, the same deficit culture that we were before COVID. Um, we're right back in it. And if anything, we're now in, in it worse because now, now that I just, I just read again today about how it's the, the worst performance of 13 year olds in math and reading in decades. And of course, we can blame COVID, but you know what? what's going to happen next? We're going to go back to some very archaic instructional practices because we've got to raise those test scores again. Um, and so now we're going to excuse the low performance for lots of bad decisions in education. And, and so, and I see that in, in language teaching as well. And I, and I really hope that we, we don't fall down that rabbit hole to use, you know, we shouldn't compare any of that stuff, A, and B, there's such opportunity to to change the conversation or language teaching or teaching in general. But there was such opportunity. I don't know if it still there is, but there definitely was. And where, yes, agreed. I'm afraid I have to start by saying that. Where, what kind of things would you hope to have heard in the conversations had some of the transformations that could have been possible taken hold? Just a blue sky, as they say a little bit with me here. Oh, well, I mean, we should have definitely had conversations around schedules. You know, we figured out all kinds of crazy schedules, but then when we went back, we went right back to, oh, 7.30, 2.30, six class periods. Is that really necessary? Um, you know, that, that would have been one. Um, we should have, I wish we would have had a conversation around subject areas, period. Because in my mind, the, the notion of subject areas is... is is way past this expiration date. And you would have thought when we had this idea, like, oh, here we're talking about COVID, which 
how many subject areas did COVID really address, right? Like there was no COVID class, but we were able to bring in everything. Um, and that's true for everything in life. So that would have been an opportunity for us to have the conversation. What do we really need language for? Do we need it just to speak the language or do we need to do it to do all these other things? But, oh gosh, no, that's a whole, that's a whole conversation for a podcast right there, what the real purposes of language teaching is, right? But, um, yeah. We can return to that easily, my friend, very easily. Uh, and then there's the uh, gorilla waiting outside the door when we open it up, the AI. How, what is... What are some of the things that you see in the work that you do and in the folks that you work with with regard to impact of that in language? It's going to, my, my guess is it's going to be like everything else in, in education when it comes to new technologies. We're going to ban it, right? First reaction is going to be we're going to ban it because we're afraid of it. Um, and then most slowly, some school districts will allow it, and then we will probably use it in inappropriate ways because we don't really understand it because it was banned for so long. And then it will become underutilized. I mean, and I'm only saying this because I've seen this with YouTube, right? I mean, I remember doing PD 20 years ago when YouTube came out. It was, you know, YouTube was banned. Remember that? YouTube was banned in pretty much all the districts, right? You could not, that was like a no no. And now, Oh, sometimes I wish like sometimes I wish it was banned because I'll be going in classes. It's like one YouTube video after another YouTube. After, I'm like, okay, can you teach without using YouTube videos? And so it, I'm I'm afraid that AI might go that same route. That we're going to go from banning to misunderstanding to misusing it to underutilizing it. So. Quite a progression there, or uh, if I may use that word, actually progression. We'll we'll leave it that though. <laughs> Thomas, before we finish today, what is it that you want to be sure that those that have, are listening hear from you? What do you want to invite them to do? Or what do you want to repeat or add, exhort? I just, I really hope that teachers, as, you know, perhaps a new school year will start, um, they really think about what is it that I'm really good at in my practice and really focus on maybe this is the year where you don't have a goal for yourself to get better at something. Maybe this is just a year where you go, I'm going to continue to be really good at this one thing and focus, making sure that that's what, that's what I'm good at. And, and, and by doing that, figure out why they're really good at in order to bring that intentionality that's needed in order to get better at other things. Because we do just way too much goal setting um, without being ready to have those goals. You know, you can you can make the goal all you want to, but if you're not, if you if you can't, if you don't know why that's a goal, if you don't know how to reach that goal, it doesn't really matter. So um, yeah, being focusing on what you're really good at, um, and then sharing that. Tell the whole world what you're really good at. Because can you imagine if every teacher just share what they're really good at like what would happen to the field we'd be really really good wouldn't we well and there'd be a whole lot more joy and that would be a wonderful gift for everyone and we need that in teaching right now we need joy back in teaching that we do and thomas thank you for all the joy that you do bring in world language education and training and in just uh being with and around so many folks that have loved having you in their classrooms, in their districts, and uh, leading the charge of training and uh, 
reflection. Thank you so much for everything you do. Thanks for having me. What strengths do you recognize in yourself? What reflection have you done on your own work, especially that which leads to a positive response for yourself? What sharing have you done with others? What listening have you done from them? As a Gallup Strengths Coach, I recognize that working on our strengths to increase them and to bring them out for the joy and purposefulness of life for ourselves and others is of paramount importance. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. I look forward to sharing future conversations in which we address those issues through language of how we can bring hope to the world together, to ourselves and to everyone. Until next time.